This is Steady Habits, a Connecticut Mirror podcast. It's where we take a look at life here in the land of steady habits, what works, what doesn't, and how to make things work just a little bit better. I'm John Dankosky. Thanks so much for joining me. We're continuing our series of conversations with Connecticut state legislative leaders as we go through this very important state budget session happening in the middle of a pandemic. This week, House Minority Leader Vincent Candelora, he's brand new to this job, having taken the place of his high-profile Republican predecessor, Themis Claritus. This comes at a time when he finds himself basically aligned with Democratic Governor Ned Lamont on tax policy. Both the Republicans and the Democratic governor are pushing back against progressive calls for more progressive taxation. We talked about his legislative priorities and how he feels the state is responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. He says that it's been a bit of a change of pace for him and his Republican caucus. As you'll hear, he's taking a lot of positions that sound an awful lot like they might come from Connecticut Democrats of the past. As you'll hear, though, I also started with a question that was prompted by his, let's just say, non-traditional response to my standard warm-up question, which is, what did you have for breakfast today? So if you had um, a roast beef sandwich for breakfast, I mean, what the hell do you have for lunch? Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm still working on that. I think I got to go the vegetable route. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe it's good to get some vegetables in your diet after that roast beef sandwich for breakfast. We had to shift around our our schedule because you had some important business. What what were you what were you doing uh, at the Capitol today? So I was signed up to testify in a committee on one of our caucus bills in the Commerce Committee. So uh, I had to do that first. What's the bill? The bill is to uh, require that the state of Connecticut give businesses uh, more advanced notice prior to changing sector rules on how they operate, whether it be a full closure or partial closure or you know changing capacity limits, provide them a little bit more notice so they can react. Have you been hearing from constituents that that's a problem? It is a little bit. I mean, I'm in the sports industry, so when they shut down sports in November, we were given two days notice, uh, which caused uh, a lot of hardship in returning deposits and abruptly shutting down. And then when we were able to reopen on January 20th, they gave us three days notice on what those guidelines were. So we weren't even able to start rebooking customers until the state would tell us how we were able to operate. So there was a lot of lost time and we lost another additional week because we were waiting on these uh, guidances to come out. And there's no reason for delay, but you know, government bureaucracy, they march to a different drum. Yeah. But by and large, though, how do you think the state has done in terms of responding to this crisis? As I mean, I don't have to tell you, there's a lot, yeah. there's a lot to juggle there. So how do you think the governor in particular has done? Well, I mean, I think the jury is still out on it. Certainly the, the um, infection rates have remained stable. The hospitals haven't been overrun. And I really give credit to our healthcare system and the private sector, how they have stepped up and responded. Even the residents in Connecticut uh, have been responsive and, and have tended to be responsible. I think long-term, we've got to look at our educational needs for our kids. Uh, I don't give the state very high marks in how they've handled the pandemic for our, our children who have probably been the most impacted, um, but are the least uh, at risk for the virus. Uh, also, you know, we, we have to wait and see and look at how our nursing homes uh, respond. You know, I think there are areas that we can improve down the road. When you talk about the educational needs, you're, you're talking about uh, what comes from the state 
to districts or the fact that we have this sort of blended learning environment of some kids studying at home, some kids not going to school at all? That's right. I mean, the state didn't provide any any real guidance. So towns are left up to do whatever they want. So we have some communities that have been in-person learning from day one. We have other communities that have still been distance learning. We have 16,000 children that didn't enroll in school this year. Where are they? Uh, so there's a lot of questions. And we all do know, I think, as a parent of two high school-aged children, distance learning is no replacement for in-person learning. So we're going to have real big COVID achievement gaps that I think the, the state needs to step up and provide more direction than leaving it up to every community. Although I can imagine that on a variety of other issues, you'd be very happy for the state to leave communities uh, up to their own devices. Yeah, to some degree. I, I think, uh, you know, home rule runs well in the state of Connecticut is important. But, you know, it's the state of Connecticut that's collected the data. They have the knowledge of what the science is. So I think they need to take more of an active role in the decision making. Uh, there are people that don't believe that these rules uh, for businesses, the restrictions were appropriate. Uh, you know, so let's have a more in-depth conversation about the science. I'm in the sports industry and CIAC came out with their report showing there was no spread among sports. Uh, yet we shut, we continue to shut sports down, which obviously is impactful to children. Um, so I, I think the state needs to present more and be more transparent on their decision making. So let's go to some of your priorities for this legislative session. Maybe you can just outline a, a few of the top things that you and your caucus are most concerned about over the course of the next couple of months or want to influence the most in the next couple of months. Yeah, I think the biggest area that we really should be focusing on is education. Um, we have an achievement gap that we need to close because of COVID. So we have a, some pieces of legislation in that's calling for setting some metrics. Uh, so when schools are going to distance learning, we have an, a component of instruction that's incorporated into that distance learning. So at least there's the, the teacher classroom interaction through Zoom uh, and those type of minimum guidelines. I think we also need to use some of the federal money to provide for summer uh, school and training for children. Those that have been uh, checked out or chronically absent from school this year are going to need some time to catch up. Uh, I also think we need to look at the IDD community, the, the, the developmentally disabled, um, looking at providing better delivery models of services for them so that they can live independently, uh, but that the state provides those minimal services. Um, we tend to be all or nothing. Uh, so we'll provide full wraparound services that can be quite expensive, but we don't serve, we don't provide some of those um, sort of collateral services that might cost a lot less and allow people to live on their own. Um, obviously, we, we're going to have to need to look at fortifying nursing homes and our school systems. Um, if there is a continued outbreak of uh, filtration systems for air quality, things of that nature, uh, I think are important issues that we're going to need to tackle. And then, of course, the budget uh, is always going to be the biggest item for this session. The, those first items, though, before we get to the budget, all, all come at some cost to the state. H how do we find the money for them? You're talking about federal dollars uh, maybe being directed towards some of the education priorities that you have, but we're only going to get so much money from the federal government. 
Yeah, I mean, we have a significant amount of federal money that came in. So the governor's budget took $400 million of federal money and just is proposing to just give it to the school systems. Uh, and what, what Republicans are saying is, let's use that money and wrap policies around that decision making. So we're not going to see that money just go to wherever each district so chooses. Uh, you know, my hometown has stayed in person since September, and they've done a remarkable job. Um, I look at New Haven that's been distance learning since March. Um, I would not want to see that money continue to fund the same model. Uh, we need to use that money to get kids back ahead. And so we want to see that federal money being directed more specifically rather than being thrown over the balcony, you know, like a ticker tape parade. <laughs> to, uh, to talking about the about the budget, what was your response to uh, Governor Lamont's budget proposal the other day? Yeah, I mean, the budget proposal looked like a multiple choice quiz. Um, you know, the 40% of the budget deficit, he gave the option of filling it in with uh, rainy day money, taking money out of our savings account, or getting federal money in, um, or just um, allowing for a robust economic recovery. You know, and all three of those options are not initiatives. They're not leadership. They're just pick one. So frankly, I just found the budget to be somewhat mediocre. Um, I want to see a little bit more bold decisions. And coming from a Republican uh, who tends to be conservative on issues, uh, I, it's um, it's a, a real change of pace for me. Um, but I do think we need more bold response in this pandemic. So, so tell me a bit more about what you mean from that. I mean, what what would a bold choice be? Maybe a bold choice that would cut against what Republicans would normally ask for that you would ask uh, the governor to do? Well, just the education reforms alone that what I had just spoke to. Um, typically, we, we like home rule. We like local control. It's something we generally support. But that's something now where we're saying the state needs to come in and set minimum guidelines and metrics. Um, you know, the, the business sectors, we tend to have the, the uh, attitude of leave commerce alone and, and let capitalism work. But I do think we need to prop up capitalism. So uh, we need to look at the unemployment compensation fund. Uh, that fund has been decimated. It's paid for through businesses. Uh, I think it needs some federal funding to prop it up like so many other states have done because the businesses have to refill those coffers after the the pandemic ends, um, it's going to take that much longer for the businesses to recover because they're going to be paying a bill that's not their fault on top of trying to reopen. And looking at some programs, additional programs to help businesses get off their feet, whether it's uh, cutting back on, on some of the sales taxes uh, that are imposed on them or diverting some of those sales tax revenues to funds uh, that they can apply for uh, to help sustain their businesses. It, it is an interesting conversation because I you know I think what Democrats in the legislature have have long wanted to do is take money that the state has and we all understand that the state only has so much money and they have a lot less of it than we often think that we do. Um, and and they want to use that for programs to prop up people, not necessarily businesses, right? It's it's That's right. And so I guess I'm just wondering if you could walk me through how this approach is different from that approach. It's still spending money. It's still spending money to uh, to help people who are hurting. It's just frankly helping different people, isn't it? 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's all about priorities. And so I think, you know, you know, one of the, the falsities is that, you know, Republicans don't like any welfare programs, for instance, but that's not necessarily true. You know, we, uh, we do support programs. We recognize Medicaid and the importance of having SAGA and the, and the safety net. Uh, the, the discussion usually revolves around how much of that safety net do we provide? Um, and, and so I think we are, we all, it is all about priorities. One of my concerns, and I think where the Democrats in the past had focused on certain segments of the population. And what we're saying right now is there's a, an area of people that traditionally we didn't need to worry about. We need to start worrying about, for instance, our achievement gap in education have long revolved around our cities. And so we have focused on funding our inner city um, educational systems. With the pandemic now, rural communities have been equally hit because of the lack of Wi-Fi really impacts their ability for distance learning. So that attention needs to be diverted, not just to our cities, but into our rural communities and even some suburbs that might've had those same challenges. And then equally, businesses that traditionally have done very well, um, you know, we're concerned they're not doing so well. Wall Street has overperformed in this pandemic, uh, but Main Street has not. And so Republicans want to try to create that balance. I just talked with Senate Leader Martin Looney, and he said almost exactly the same thing as you, right? That this Wall Street mirage that we got all this money over the course of the last year because Wall Street was outperforming Main Street is not something that we should look at as as any type of, of reality. But what do we make of the fact that the state actually has done pretty well in terms of tax receipts over the last year because Wall Street has overperformed? Right. So part of that is Wall Street. The other piece of it is we've had $17 billion of federal money dumped into Connecticut, whether it was through PPP or unemployment uh, or other programs. A lot of that money became taxable, whether through sales tax or income tax. So between Wall Street and the, that federal dollars, we have propped up um, the uh, artificially propped up our revenue. So I do share that concern that we need to look at that because the cliff could could drop off. Uh, once these federal dollars run out. When, when Senator Looney talks about this, though, he's he's making an argument that says, well, look, clearly Wall Street has overperformed and the beneficiaries of that have largely not been the people who own small businesses that you're talking about, where almost all of their income comes from doing stuff, from making things that people buy. And there's a small percentage of people in the state for whom most of the income they make actually comes from capital gains. He's suggesting that we tax capital gains at a slightly higher level. Others in the Democratic caucus are asking for bigger increases. I guess I'm wondering if, if you can talk about that first before we talk about how Governor Lamont seems to be on, on your side on, on the issue of taxes. That's right. Well, I think one of the things that Republicans are always concerned about is the Democrat proposals are all about the revenue, and we don't have the back-end conversation of how it's going to be spent. And I think typically that's where the fighting begins. Um, so we never even have, we're never even willing to get into the room to have a tax conversation because a lot of that money doesn't go to the priorities that we think are important. Right now, Democrats are not talking about education. Um, they're not talking about 
the vaccine rollout and how to, to prop up that process. Um, what we do hear them talking about is this redistribution of all these tax dollars um, and largely large pots of money just being dumped into certain communities with no strings attached. And, you know, I would argue that some communities have done a very poor job of creating safety nets for their residents. And I disagree with that notion that we should give them more money and reward them for those bad decisions. Would you be willing, though, to have a conversation about raising taxes specifically on the wealthiest Connecticut individuals if you felt as though some of the priorities that your caucus has would be would be addressed? Yeah, I mean, I think we need a broader conversation. So it's, it's not just about raising the taxes, but where should we also be lowering them? Um, so there could be some areas that could uh, afford a tax increase. Uh, but other areas that should be reduced. You know, our hotel occupancy tax and our sales tax on restaurants um, ha- have been dramatically increased over the last couple of years. They have been the most dramatically impacted by the pandemic. Um, so we should have a conversation about lowering their tax burdens before we increase someone else's. And that's not something the Democrats have been willing to have but we would like to have that conversation. I just want to pick up on something quickly. You you mentioned a desire to have more dollars that the state brings in from whatever revenues to go toward the the vaccine rollout. Now, that's not something that I've heard from Democratic lawmakers at all. Obviously, the governor's really been in charge of running this entire vaccine rollout from the state level. It's not lost in anybody that probably everybody in Connecticut, Republicans and Democrats, wish that we'd had uh, a more coherent vaccine rollout from the federal level over the course of the last year. So now here we are. What is it specifically that you'd like to see the state do differently in terms of vaccine rollout? So our state has health districts throughout, and, and we have local health districts, and then we have regional health districts. The state of Connecticut, uh, the question was asked yesterday, how much funding from the CARES Act money have you given them? And we can't really get a straight answer. I think the answer is none. Um, and these are the, the local districts that are the boots in the ground responsible for um, inspecting and maintaining all the sector rules, making sure our communities are staying safe, but also rolling out vaccine clinics in the local communities. Uh, if the state is not going to prop up them with financial money, we have a problem. I know in my community, we are actually getting volunteers to come in and administer the vaccines. The town is is donating food for these workers, uh, and they're propping it all up mo- mostly on a volunteer system. To me, that's sort of reprehensible when we have billions of dollars of federal money coming into the state of Connecticut to prop up our our healthcare system, and no money is going to the vaccine rollout at the local level. And to the the point, what's a little disturbing is, but we have a lot of money going to to different programs like SEMA4 testing programs uh, that are on Wall Street that are making record profits and our small uh, industries in Connecticut that are so needed to prop up healthcare are not getting those dollars. And so um, that that's an area that we need to really take a look at. But before we turn away from, from uh, taxes uh, to some other things, how does it feel to you to be so squarely on the side of this Democratic governor when it comes to holding the line on on taxes? Well, I I think, you know, generally speaking, um, 
it's a great question. I mean, I, I, I don't, the, the taxes in the state of Connecticut, we believe obviously we've seen three of the largest tax increases throughout Connecticut history. Um, I think Republicans are very skittish um, at looking at tax increases per se, because it doesn't drive the economic growth that we've looked for. Back 10 years ago, when we made a more progressive income tax and we taxed our wealthy, we saw over $600 million of lost income revenue from that tax increase because rich people just changed their zip code and moved to another state. Um, we, so we recognize this careful balance. And I appreciate that the governor recognizes it as well uh, on, on the one hand. But on the other hand, uh, it's frustrating when we look at other programs that the governor has supported like the paid family medical leave, which Republicans had an alternative to, um, that he continues to barrel ahead on. Uh, that's a cost to our working class families, but also a cost to businesses. And we continue to see those policies get implemented um, that hit us on the other end. Well, so, and just just so just so we understand, what is the differential between your proposal for paid family medical leave and what? has been supported by the governor? So the paid family medical leave that Republicans had supported was a private program that would be administered by a nonprofit, uh, similar, I think, to the Massachusetts model, uh, and where businesses could opt into it and employees can opt in and pay in if they so choose. Connecticut right now has, has sort of dragged everybody in, like, you know, throwing a large fishnet out into the ocean and pulling up everything. Uh, regardless of whether you catch a fish or a whale and throw them all into the same boat. Um, and there are some businesses that could offer better programs um, than the, the one that the state is offering. And yet for them to untangle from it, they need to go through a bureaucratic nightmare um, to try to get out of that program. And so what we're seeing is um, businesses and the few that have registered, because a lot aren't even complying with it, um, are just registering, taking money out of their, their employees' paychecks. And when the day is done, no one is going to see a real benefit out of it. Shouldn't all workers in Connecticut have paid family medical leave? Uh, not necessarily all, but I, and that's where the difference is, I think, between Republicans and Democrats. We believe that businesses should be left with options. And so there are some companies like myself where um, we give individuals paid leave, but we're like a family. So we're a small business. We're flexible. You need some time off, take it. Um, there are people that work under that structure and we all benefit from it. What we've now done in the state is we've eliminated those kind of personal relationships. It's now sterilized and people are able to, to get a 12, 12 week benefit. That benefit may never come to fruition because the plan is, is underfunded. Uh, I don't think the modeling is going to work. And so when the day is done, people may go out on a paid sick leave and they're going to see 20% of their income that they otherwise would have gotten 100% if we just left the system alone. Uh, last two things for you, Representative. Uh, the governor and a lot of folks in the Democratic uh, caucus have put a lot of, I suppose, bets on sports betting and legalized pot for this upcoming legislative session, both with, with fiscal notes of some sort. I think that there's a lot of argument as to whether or not either one of those things are going to make the type of money that some predict. But that having been said, what is your thought on sports betting and legalized weed? Yeah, I think sports betting is critical to bring to Connecticut. It's all about modernizing the gaming system. We have two of the largest casinos in the world. 
So it makes sense to allow for that online platform, especially in the world of COVID, so they can continue to grow jobs and, and we all benefit from that. And I think the devil's in the details and working out those negotiations, but I think it's gonna get broad support once a deal is struck. Uh, for, for marijuana, you know, I, I view it as a commercialized commercialization of marijuana, not a legalization. Uh, the tax structure, I'm concerned, it's set at such a high tax uh, rate that the black market is only going to thrive. At a time when we're trying to ban uh, vape products from children, the, the flavored products, we're going to introduce marijuana that's going to allow for gummy bears and soda and all sorts of marketing of marijuana to the kids. At the same time, we're trying to prevent nicotine from being marketing to the kids. So those things all need to be really hashed out. And ultimately, I think we have a lot of libertarian Republicans that say, let people just grow it in their homes, you know, and that that is catching uh, some support, I think, among caucus members throughout the building. Last thing, how hard is it for you to do the work of legislating with this kind of strange Zoom world that we have right now? I've heard from a lot of people who say, you know, you can't pull off somebody to the side, have a conversation with somebody, an advocate, do the... The public hearings aren't going to be the same. How difficult is, is, is it to do your job? Yeah, it's tough. And there's no ending. So whereas you go to work and you go home and you, you throw your feet up on the couch, you're now operating from your couch. And so the beginning of the day is 7 a.m. And, and the end of the day is sometime after 10 o'clock. Those boundaries from a mental health perspective, I think, is dangerous. You know, we need to bring those boundaries back. So I don't think the virtual world is is a healthy environment for any of our uh, residents. Uh, and also that is true. We don't have the, the uh, interaction. Um, you know, if an issue comes up in a committee, uh, we, we have a leadership structure. So the leaders get involved and, and sort of we quarterback things and, you know, we blow the whistle if it needs to be blown. It's a lot harder to do this in the virtual world. So you may see things get out of control that might've been able to be put under control. But the bigger issue is just the conversations, getting everyone in a room together to hash out a bill uh, isn't going to happen. And so that game of telephone that we played as kids, uh, I worry about that because every bill that's going through this legislature is going through a game of telephone. And what is going to come out in the end could be very dangerous or it could be very good. Yeah, but Marty Looney told me, you know, he's hoping that more of the legislation, more of the concepts are rolled into fewer total bills so there's not so many games of telephone. I don't know if that's what we're seeing so far. I was just looking online and it seems like there's a lot of bills to me, but <laughs> I know. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you start out the word of telephone with three words and you yeah. get to the end, yeah. you see what it comes out. Try to play telephone with 30 words and see what gets out at the end. So I'm not convinced that these aircraft carrier bills is a, is a good way to go. Uh, I think that could even be worse than taking very uh, small subjects one at a time. Representative Candelora, thanks so much for taking some time with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I enjoyed it. That's House Minority Leader Vincent Candelora. We'll continue our conversations with legislative leaders and hear more from Connecticut Mirror reporters and others covering the Capitol in the coming weeks on our podcast. You can support us directly in a few ways. Subscribe if you haven't yet. You can rate and review us on iTunes. You can share the podcast with others who are interested in policy and politics in the state. You can sign up for our newsletter, and you can go to ctmirror.org slash donate and make a donation to support not only the podcast, but all of the independent nonprofit journalism that you get from the Mirror. 
Thanks to Kyle Constable, Bruce Potterman, and Beth Hamilton for their help. George Mastrianis and Dave Swanson recorded our Steady Beats at Legend Studios in Avon, Connecticut. I'm John Dankosky. Thanks so much for joining me, and we will talk to you soon.